Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Okay, so I am so glad to have you guys here. So David and Abby, um, I've known, well, I've known Abby for a long time, right? This I'm probably 10 plus years we've known each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Was that before you had met David? No, David was in the picture. He was in the picture. um, But it was long before our farm started. I'm super glad to have you guys here because I really wanted to talk to somebody like you who started a farm the way you have. Um, So I was hoping that you guys could start by by going back to like, how did you start this? Like, where Mm -hmm. did this idea for this come from? And where you came from, too, because it's sort of like people I don't I think people don't know how people decide to be farmers. Like what? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I start? Sure. Yeah, go for it. So right around when I met David, he grew his first plant. And it was a little... His first plant. His first plant. It was a little cherry tomato plant on Uh the fire escape of his little tiny college apartment. In a five-gallon bucket. In a five-gallon bucket. And you would have thought he discovered tomatoes, like the joy he experienced with this little plant. And then um, at the time, you want to talk about the career you were in? Yeah, that was even before, but um, that was like during college years. But Mm -hmm. I mean, since then, we've done a lot of gardening in a lot of places. But where I came from directly before farming was um, working as a project manager in a neuroscience and psychology research lab. So of course, it, of course, right, this naturally. is uh, naturally how it's farmers a very, start. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a normal transition to go <laughs> directly from neuroscience to mm-hmm. farming. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us have done it. Um, right, right, yeah. <laughs> so I worked there for twelve years. Okay. So I worked on a whole variety of studies, uh, mostly focused on MRI. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at functional um, brain activity and how it changes in different circumstances, mm-hmm. um, and also anatomical, so looking how the brain is actually structured. And then we did a lot of EEG, electroencephalography, mm-hmm. which measures the electrical potential at the scalp. So that's those, those I don't know, electrodes. Is yep. it electrodes that you attach to somebody's, you see these pictures where yep. people have these, that, that was you. That's exactly it. So we had okay. like 128 sensors that we put all over people's scalps, and then you Whoa. measure the electrodes. Electricity. And the cool thing about it is that it's got this amazing um, resolution and time. So you can look at what's happening at the surface of the brain on the millisecond Whoa. order. So it's wild what you can see um, with that. It's really terrible deep in the brain, but it's excellent on the cortical surface. So I'd worked with that for years and years and years, um, studying um, aging and did some some technical work on how to separate like muscle electricity from brain electricity mm-hmm. and that stuff. And then I did most of my work on meditation and well-being. So training novices in meditation or exercise and then measuring the impact on their brains. So you were, this was in the Center for Healthy Minds, right? Correct, yep. Yeah. So Richie Davidson's lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people know Richie Davidson because he was, I mean, they know him in a lot of ways, but he was the guy who plugged those 120 things into the Dalai Lama when he meditated, right? The Dalai Lama has actually never done it. Yeah. yeah it was tons of other monks. It's, it would have been like a, it was, it's, it's very political. 
And uh. so the Dalai Lama never did it, but there's a whole bunch of other monks. So um, while I was working there, we had a stream of monks that would come over from um, Europe, from India, from Nepal, from Tibet, uh-huh. um, that would come through the lab. And um, we would correlate some of their brain activity with the number of hours of practice that we Whoa. saw. So, so you th- could see a change over the years that you meditate. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's God, interesting. Well, you know, there's this, like, there's this idea about 10,000 hours of expertise. So they actually applied that same number to monks. Uh-huh. So you see that like with like guitarists and violinists, you see the brain um, areas that control like fingering, right? Um, finger movement grow as oh. people exercise that part of their brain more and more. So the question would be, as these monks practice these very prescribed, incredibly specific techniques, this is not just sitting on a cushion and breathing. There, There's hundreds of techniques, and there's a, a teacher who's giving you guidance and a specific prescription about how to advance through those techniques. Mm-hmm. So then what is the result of that within the brain as people practice not just 10,000, but 40, 50, 60,000, right. three years of silent retreat by themselves cave, come out, jump in the scanner. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Well, so while David was deep inside this scientific career path, parallel to that, he was constantly digging up every yard we ever had, borrowing neighbor's yards, anything he could to grow plants and Mm -hmm. to learn about it. He, over all those years in the lab, developed an entire library about small market garden, organic gardening, farming. He went to all these workshops just because he loved it. Yeah. And there was just one day where he had dug up every square inch of our front yard, Mm -hmm. including the strip between the sidewalk in the street, and he was growing 15 crops in that strip. Oh, no. And I said, honey, do you maybe want to be a farmer? And he said, yes. And he said, yes, when that happened. Yeah. 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 It's an amazing thing, right? There's something about this, this growing, nurturing of plants thing. So, okay. So you... You came to this, oh my God, place. You want to be a farmer. And then what? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really easy. We started a farm. It was immediately successful. The end. Of course. The end. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It would be a really boring podcast. So <laughs> this is true. you get to make up a big, long story, even if there wasn't one. Well, luckily, <laughs> luckily there is one. Um, so... I, I honestly, I was really surprised that farming came up. I knew that there was kind of the next career path was coming. I was really enjoying the work that I was doing. I felt like it mattered, but I felt like there was something that I had to contribute that that was more me mm-hmm. than the work that I was doing then. Like I, I loved it for the whole time, but then was ready to switch. And um, farming popped up, which honestly totally shocked me. Ten years ago, I wouldn't have guessed that this is what I'd be doing right now. When we decided to go for it, I had done a bunch of classes and training and things like that. And we went to um, the Angelic Organics Learning Center, which is in northern Illinois. And they do a winter course Mm -hmm. where they basically just pound on all of your blind spots Mm -hmm. every other Saturday for eight hours. Mm -hmm. And it is um, the most loving sort of brutality. And it's got nothing to do with farming. You never get to talk about how do I plant beets. It's none of that. It's purely like finance, legal, marketing, business plans. What's the scope? What's the organizational structure? Mm -hmm. If it's only one person, your organizational structure is good now, but where's it going to be in 15 years? Mm -hmm. Think about how you want to parse that out. And, um, it's extraordinary, uh, and a great thing to do over the winter. Right. And then we rented land from some people that we knew. We rented an acre of their farmland Mm. and, um, got a small business loan from a bank Mm -hmm. and, um, got 
a small tractor. It's called a BCS. It's this two-wheel tractor. Uh, yeah. two-wheel tractor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it looks a little bit like a snowblower. Right. But instead of the snowblower part, it's got a power takeoff, a PTO. Mm-hmm. And so you can attach different implements to that. So hmm. you can use it as a plow. You can use it as a mower. You can use it as a tiller. And it's all the same tractor. It's the same hmm. power base. Um, so it's excellent for very small spaces. Mm-hmm. So one acre, it was completely possible for me to work that one acre by myself, do all the work with that little tractor. Right. Um, they're Italian-made tractors. They're made for like the um, really small European farms that right. still proliferate. Right, right, right. So, okay, so because I think people don't kind of understand the scale of things. So, sure. one acres, like how much? That that's like way too much for a family, right? So you're now producing quite a bit of food. That's right. Yeah. So an acre, um, an acre is about the size of a football field. Okay, cool. Good, good yeah. conceptual spot. Yeah. So it's about the size of a football field. And because we're so small and we're using this small equipment, we did not need a lot of space for like turning around a tractor or having, you know, roads, which is as you grow bigger, something you need a lot of space of. So I'd say most of that space ends up planted. So we're, we're way beyond what a single family could eat, preserve, right hand out to their friends. So we knew as we were going in that we were going to go straight to farmer's market. And we are also going to start a small CSA, mm-hmm. Community Supported Agriculture Program, yeah. with just family and friends okay. who would be incredibly forgiving if we fell flat on our faces. Right. Uh, and we were very clear with everyone. Right. That there this is a could possibility. Go <laughs> right. Right. That this doesn't pan out. We also had our farm stand outside our house on Tuesday nights. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, you that had a was farm stand. Year. And you lived in in town, just to yep. be clear, right? Yep, yeah. on the east side of Madison. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Right in the driveway. Right, right in the, the driveway, driveway. little mm-hmm. neighborhood farm stand. Fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually great. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be at home and be able to sell produce. <laughs> right, from your driveway. <laughs> Might as well. And you're still, you still had your day job at, while this was all yeah. going on? So yeah, so I was okay, really so. lucky um, in my day job. So I was, at that point, I was running uh, the largest study of mindfulness in the country that's ever been done. Right. A five-year project funded by the National Institute of Health right. with seven full-time employees and around 40 undergrads mm-hmm. across five departments in the university, some people in Spain, some people, you know, like it's crazy. It's crazy. And they still, they let me go down to, if I remember right, it was 70% time in the summer. Right. But I had to do full time in the winter. Right. So you worked for the first couple of years about a hundred hours a week. Mm-hmm. For two years straight to get this off the ground. Wow! Yeah. Now I'm down to eighty. Yeah, <laughs> I'm down to eighty. Yeah, I know it's a it's a vacation. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. It is. It's a choice, right? Yeah. So okay. So, um, so you were working like crazy, mm-hmm. and you're selling at farmers markets. Correct. And, one market. One market. Yeah. One market yeah. that first year. One Saturday market. Yeah. And just getting our feet wet and being happy when you make. Two hundred dollars. It mm. feels like things are moving. Um, learning a lot about weeds. Right. Yeah. A lot, yep. of, a lot of that going on. Because you do organic, right? You're an yep. organic farmer. Yep. Yeah. We're certified organic. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. you you guys are um, so you're farming organically. Lots of weeds. Learning about all this. Working a hundred hours because you still had your day job. How did you name your farm? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> 
the name of the farm came from when Abby was pregnant with our daughter, Solea. Okay. And she was very, very sick most mm-hmm. of the time. Um, a beautiful transition from nausea straight into reflux. Right. Um, Great. Was, there was probably, a, I, I would guess, as long as a week, maybe eight days break between the two. Oh. Um, and it was just it was just rough. And so she was very sensitive to um, what she was putting into her body at mm-hmm. that time. And we found out that um, home-cooked food was the best by a long shot. And, well, maybe you should take over from there. Well, I was craving foods from my childhood, and nobody from my childhood was around to cook them. Oh, right. So David got to work and discovered he loved cooking, really loved it, and made these foods that I was craving. Uh, Like what? Oh, gosh. I'm trying to remember details. All I can remember is going to the grocery store to get nasty gefilte fish. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Gefilte yeah. fish. Yeah, I childhood. Love it. Yeah, yeah, my Jewish yeah, yeah. childhood. Um, <laughs> but what I remember is just these beautiful plates of food, and he'd make them really pretty because food wasn't very appealing. Oh, and right. And they were just these five-star restaurant, beautiful meals, and they tasted so good. And I, I started calling them love food. Uh-huh. This is my love food. Yeah. And then we called it love food. And then when Saleya was born, David really fell in love with cooking and did all the cooking for a couple mm-hmm. years because I was so busy with her. And we always called it love food. Well, and the epiphany of it was that intention matters. Right. My whole state was I learned to cook from a place of loving my partner and my unborn child. Right. And was completely motivated. It was just the most fun. Like, this is how I can feed my baby right. and my partner. And it was it was amazing. And it it was a it was a pretty hefty revelation, right? Of um, and you know alongside the meditation work too of the the mm-hmm. power of awareness and mindfulness. Yeah. Um, not as like a preachy thing, but as a purely like oh this actually affects my life quite a bit and it's imbued into the food that we're preparing mm-hmm. and then that food is beyond just nutritionally nourishing. It goes to a spot in us that um, feeds deep. And so when we were going towards farming, it was that same intention. Mm -hmm. So what happens if we can grow food? And have its relationship mm-hmm. all the way from seed to market be a truly loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always a little bit cautious for me to talk about it because it can sound so hippy-dippy. Right. But in reality, you know, I, I think about um, how you can walk into a room and you can get a pretty good temp mm-hmm. temperature on the room when you mm-hmm. first walk in. And when a farm is stressed and anxious and you got a yelling boss and um, things are just crunchy, man, you can feel it when mm-hmm. you come into the farm. And I can't help but think that that is imbued in the food itself. Mm-hmm. And if you can come to a place where things are flowing and they're working, people know their jobs, they know what they're doing, they can have fun conversations along the way, mm-hmm. everybody's kind of got their business covered. And and for me, I train our employees to be thinking about the person who's going to end up using the food. Mm. So when we're harvesting for market, just remember, somebody's going to take this home and they're going to use this food to prepare for their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. So if you're curious about how it ought to look, like we don't let sloppy stuff get off the farm. That's not the way that we do things because mm-hmm. this is going to somebody who's preparing food for their loved ones. Yeah. And so your the name is? Love food. Love food. <laughs> yes. And love food, it's, it's always a... Uh, a tricky thing. It's not two different words, mm-hmm. so it's not like loving food. It's the it's the it's a noun. Mm-hmm. Love okay, food. love food. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. I was just reading what was that called? Is the emotional life of trees? Is mm-hmm. that the name of that book? Yeah, 
and fascinating. If you, if, if anybody hasn't read it, you have to read it. Um, um, but it was talking about how the trees will support a dead tree next to it through yeah. the microbial life in the soil and. And there was a bunch of anthropomorphizing going sure. in there because we're assuming emotion into this when, in fact, it's a biological symbiosis here. Although emotion might be too. But it could be. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's this crazy thing. And you read that book and you go, oh, my God. And now I drive around the countryside around here and see those fields with the one oak tree out there. And I'm so sad for that oak tree after yep. you read that book, right? Yep. Well, and and mm-hmm. I was reading a, I haven't actually read the book, but I was reading a study that was tracking, I, I, I think... It was in the northwest, I want to say Washington, and there's these high levels of nitrogen in trees that were in a, in a soil that shouldn't be able to support high levels of nitrogen. Mm. And so these researchers were trying to figure out how the heck this happened. And through a whole lot of study, they got to the point where they realized that the bears were getting the salmon out of the river mm-hmm. a couple kilometers away. And they had their favorite spot for eating. Uh huh. And then all the remains would go there where they found an especially dense clump of this one kind of fungi that then would harvest off the nitrogen and then transport it a couple kilometers directly to the roots of the trees. Isn't that and then crazy? They, and they're trading. They're trading the trees for um, sugars. And so they were estimating that trees probably use about 60% of the sugars that they make, Mm -hmm. and then they're trading 40% of the sugars that they make for other minerals that they don't have access to. And some of those bacteria and fungi, they even have um, uh, acids that they can secrete to break down minerals. So they can find pebbles and they can break down minerals and then transport that to trees. And the whole economy of that is insane. It's insane to even think about that. And then you think about a farm, right? Exactly, that's where it's going to go. Yeah, right. What is that biological, living, emotional life of a farm, if you want to call it that? Well, that's really the tricky thing. Um, when you have a farm that's an annual agriculture, because mm-hmm. you're turning it over really frequently, and yeah. um, you know, bacteria they like their level in the soil. Mm-hmm. Fungi they like their level in the soil. They like to get established, and you go through and till, and it's like putting the soil a community in a blender. Mm, you know, right, it really fun. fragments things, yeah. and it's not great. Perennial agriculture, the idea is that you can leave things in for longer. You can mm-hmm. let those communities get established, and you cannot shake them up as much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do a mix of perennial and annual right you now. You do? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we do a bunch of perennial herbs that we use and we sell to grocery stores especially. Mm-hmm. And so for all of those areas, we plan on prepping it and then planting it mm-hmm. and then leaving it in place for a minimum of four years. Okay. And then we rotate through so we can get our annual stuff in there too. And then we're also partnering with a couple people at the university to figure out better ways mm. for us to be able to do this annual agriculture and be in better partnership with that uh, microbiota in the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, there's a lot of people who are experimenting with stuff and you know figuring things out, but I feel like that's probably the next era of organic agriculture and what it is that people are doing is how to, um, how to target the microbiota that we want in the soil and then how to preserve it and how to work alongside that to grow more nutritious, healthier food. Right, right. So my my daughter is on the Hopi Reservation. She's a doctor right. on the Hopi Reservation, and they grow corn there, right? And if you look at pictures, they don't allow a lot of pictures, so you don't see a lot of them, but there are pictures of them growing corn, and their corn 
is it's it looks like a lunar landscape. Like there's mm. nothing there, right? And then there's this little clump that has has four to six corn plants in it. They only get about two or three feet tall. Wow. Um, and then there's nothing. And then there's another clump that's hmm. 15 feet away that mm-hmm. is the same way. They plant that corn 15 inches in the ground. Wow. They've been farming there for a thousand years, right? So you you talk about the microbiome of that is optimized for that corn. Yep. And that corn doesn't perform other places. And actually, if you give it nitrogen, mm-hmm. it doesn't do well. Mm-hmm. Like There's this whole idea of nutrient scavenging. It's crazy, yeah, isn't and, it? And with nutrient scavenging, it's like, you know, sometimes for, especially for humans, but the things that we struggle with make us stronger. Right. Right. And that's mm-hmm. where we develop our flavor. Yeah. And so if a plant is geared to be a scavenger right. and you just dump a whole bunch of food on it, it's not really sure how to handle it and it doesn't grow in the same way. And the flip is true that we're right now, you know, in our, in our seed breeding Mm -hmm. have gotten to the point where you're planning on a plant having everything that it needs within like a couple inches of the root zone right? and that's it. And, and, um, that creates a certain flavor. Flavor and ability to grow and everything exactly. else, and then all of a sudden we can't provide everything it needs because we've depleted the soil or whatever, and now there now we've got trouble. Exactly right, and yeah. more variability now because of climate variability, mm-hmm. right? So now we've got trouble because mm-hmm. we don't have the control for. Yeah, it's such an interesting time to be a farmer. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, That's I can part see of what why I you became a farmer. Yeah, like, you're totally into all this. Totally, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and you happen to be married to Abby, who, when I knew her, the reason I knew her, you were you were working at the Dairy Business Innovation Center, so you kind of knew about all this go-to-market stuff, and yeah, you know, we actually need to have a label and all that stuff, right? Yes, yes, I spent 15 years working in the small family farm, local foods industry. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of connections mm-hmm. in the industry, which were really good, including you, which were really mm-hmm. good for right. us, Perfect. you know, and growing. Yeah. And um, I'd written a lot of grants for family farms, mm-hmm. and that's been very useful to us. Um, totally understood that you need to know your target market and mm-hmm. the value of a feasibility study to see if there's room in the marketplace for what you want to do. Um, business planning, all those things I'd seen in action and how they actually impact a family when they're mm-hmm. trying to do this kind of thing. Um, so that was, yeah, really, it was really, really a helpful. cool full circle for, for me and my career. Yeah, absolutely. Because now you get to be that person. Now we are those people. Yeah. Isn't um, that crazy? Yeah. All right. So now you're in this one acre. Then what happened? Uh, it went Okay. It went okay. <laughs> Your mother didn't send the box back, right? right? Like, honey, what were you thinking? Yeah, no, that didn't that happen. Didn't happen. No. Okay, uh, no, I'd say the CSA was pretty happy. The market sales were pretty slow. You know, um, it takes a couple of years to get known in a farmer's market. Yeah. And so it, the other thing that was um, very surprising is that it was a very unseasonably warm spring. And that is the year that I measure everything off of. Mm-hmm. And it was it was ridiculous. We showed up at the first market and we had so much variety right. because it was just a ridiculously early spring. It was like 70, 70 degrees in March for a little while. Whoa. So, yeah. We haven't had one of those no. in a while. Yeah. yeah. And so you could grow anything. Right. It was crazy. Right. And then I, I've been thinking of that as normal since then. And I keep being surprised when March is cold. Um 
but yeah, we so we made it work. We sold a little bit. Um, market went okay. CSA went pretty well. Um, CSA members came back the following year, but the land didn't really work out with the people that mm-hmm. we were renting from. We were just. I, I think it was a shock to everyone how much we were there. Right. It just takes a lot of time to be farming and a lot of early hours. And it was right near their house. And, you know, it just didn't really work in the long run. And so we actually ended up moving to a farm incubator mm-hmm. that was in Verona, Wisconsin, um, called the Farley Center. Yeah. And it's a center that focuses especially on women, minority, and refugee farmers. Mm-hmm. And I am the token Neither white one guy. That's right. <laughs> yeah. right. So I just got in purely because there's a there's a little bit of extra space one year. Right. And, and you'd made relationships at the market with some of the farmers there. And they, they recommended you. They. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd known a bunch of the... Um, uh, well, yeah, a whole bunch of the farmers from the same market, mm-hmm. and we had gotten close over the year before, yeah. and they recommended us to get into that mar- into that uh, incubator. Mm-hmm. And we had talked to them over about two years to see mm-hmm. if we would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you know the Farleys at all? I never knew them. No. You never knew I, them. Well, their son Shed runs oh, the place runs now, it. but I never knew. Gina yeah, and you Linda. never they knew had, them. They had passed. Yeah, before. he would have loved. They would have loved you, mm-hmm. and you would have loved them. My it's I, I my kids had had her as their um as their doctor. Oh, really? When they were little, and they're crazy. Yeah, they were they were just so progressive family docs here in the in the community. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so so you yeah. move there. So we moved there, and we actually had, had to contract. So usually they start people on a quarter acre. Yeah. And because we had previous experience with this other mm-hmm. farm, they gave us a half acre. Okay. But we had been at one. Right. And so, so we had to contract. So we had to contract, and so um, we were really unsure at first about whether we were going to go for it or not, right. but they also have a wash shed, they have tractors, they have a lot of equipment that mm-hmm. would make things a lot easier and would help us with the startup. Um, and so we ended up deciding to go for it and just took it as an opportunity to really nail our weed control, to nail mm-hmm. our systems and to get a little bit more dialed in mm-hmm. than um, kind of the chaos of the first year. Mm-hmm. Um I should actually back up because in the first year, one of the questions that we came in with was we're starting with CSA, we're starting with farmer's market, and we're growing a wide variety of vegetables. Right. And so we went in kind of with this question of, we know we're going to develop a focus, but we're not really sure what it is. Let's purposely Mm -hmm. go in broad and then let's plan on refining. Mm -hmm. And so about halfway through the first year, I was in the field listening to a podcast, um, picking basil. And I was listening to this podcast that was about how um, chefs were really struggling to get fine herbs. Mm -hmm. And I was in this just infused with the smell of basil Mm -hmm. all around me. And I was like, you know... I could do this. Mm-hmm. This would be a pretty nice way to live. Mm-hmm. And so um, I actually called the guest on the mm-hmm. podcast, whose name was Chris Blanchard. So it was Chris. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he, it turns out, had just moved about a mile and a half away from our house. Oh, God. How he had funny. moved to Madison from Iowa. Uh-huh. And um, I, in the the Angelic Organics Learning Center mm-hmm. program I was in, they supply you with a mentor. Mm-hmm. And so um, they helped me to hook up with Chris as a mentor oh, for a very short okay. term. Okay, yeah. And then we got to talking, and then, you know, we went out for coffee once, and then we went out for beer, and then mm-hmm. we were friends from then on. Yeah. Um, and so Chris was a huge part uh, for us of helping us to find our focus and to mm-hmm. develop our business and everything. And so in that first year, we realized um, that we wanted to focus on culinary herbs. Right. And we wanted to package them and bring them 
to grocery stores and that that was going to be a big part of our business. Mm -hmm. And so as we shifted to the Farley Center, that was one of the questions is, can we establish our herbs? Can we get Mm -hmm. that business going? Even though we're on smaller acreage, can we do it reliably on this acreage and be able to um, have uh, a product for most of the year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or most of the growing season anyways? Right, right, right. And most herbs, I'm thinking of a lot of herbs, they're, they're little. Like, they don't need... It's not like growing pumpkins where the plant is going to be 12 feet long. I got I to gotta tell you this story. When I first came to Madison to go to graduate school, I rented a farmhouse in, in Sun Prairie. Uh-huh. I had grown up on the East Coast, basically. I'd never grown a thing. <clears throat> and I planted this garden, and everything grew. It was like your story. like, And, and then I, re- I learned later that the that particular part of Sun Prairie, like the topsoil is like three feet deep. Oh and and it, it's like the most amazing place to grow stuff. And Because then I left, and nothing ever did as well as that, right? I'm like, And I had no idea what I was doing. It's kind of funny. All right. Anyway, so herbs are smaller, though, physically smaller. So so that would be good for um, for smaller acreage. It's true. The the other side of that though is that they only grow so quickly. Yeah, there's that. So um, and things like cilantro and dill that are annual herbs, mm-hmm. you need to reseed frequently. Right. So we need to plant those about every two weeks. Oh. And so even though one planting doesn't take up a lot of space, every two weeks over would, yeah. you do maybe fifteen plantings. Each one is a couple of rows, and you end up with a lot of space um, taken up by those. Um, And then the perennials, um, you put in that first year, and you almost can't harvest it all the first year. So the first year is all about getting roots set, getting a good foundation for it to be able to grow from. And so it's a lot of work. It's a lot of weeding. It's a lot of caretaking Mm -hmm. with really nothing coming out of it. Mm -hmm. And and delving into that, knowing we were only there temporarily, but it was our only option at the time to do this. So this is such a great... Great example of the farmland access issue, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and it's such a big issue for people. Mm-hmm. And the your experience renting, and then people realizing, you know, oh, really? I, that was so sexy to have these farming people on my on my you know place. This will be great. I'll love it. And and then you know, mm-hmm. oh, there's going to be equipment sitting there. Or, oh, there's going to be somebody there at six in the morning, and all those things come up, right? right. And then it doesn't work so well for people. Mm-hmm. Such a common, mm-hmm. it's such a common story, right? Mm-hmm. What you've gone through with trying mm-hmm. to get to a location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also one thing that's just funny and wonderful and of our part of our story is that. Um, all the all the different places that we farmed and leading up to getting our land our house was the other part of the farm, right? <laughs> oh, so you're starting seedlings in the house, right? David turned it into a greenhouse, and we had a cool, like a walk-in cooler that he made out of a really weird space in our basement. And the whole basement got certified organic. Oh and our no, backyard got we had certified organic. He had a greenhouse going back there. Oh, God, what so a really, riot. you were farming in a lot of different places. So yeah. you know about spin farming? Yeah. yeah. So it's like you were spin farming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Especially in small acreage farming. It's similar yeah. to spin. Yeah. And for us, I mean, we were putting out, I'd say one of our first years in the basement, we probably put out 20,000 transplants from our basement. And wow. that was when we were doing small amounts. Right. Like even last year, I think we put out 20,000 just onions. 
wow. from the basement. Um, it was crazy. You walked wow. up and down those stairs <sighs> a lot of times uh-huh. carrying heavy carrying heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. When the cooler was in the basement, every single thing going into the cooler had to go down the stairs. Gotta every go down single the thing stairs. Going to yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Okay. So <laughs> Farley Center, you were there for how many years? Uh, two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah. Two and a half. So, we, and we had a half acre the first year. They let us grow to about an acre the second year. And then we contracted the third year or the, the half year because we had purchased our farmland and we were getting okay. ready to transition. Yeah. And the other thing is we also got greenhouse space there, mm, which was amazing. Which so is they amazing. Have yeah. Group greenhouse space. Yeah. The other group things that they have is a cooler that you mm-hmm. don't have to walk up and down stairs for. Right, um, right. This wash area, which uh-huh. is crucial for having good quality vegetables. Um, for vegetables, it's all about getting your produce cold and clean yes. as quickly as possible for it to have shelf life. Yeah. And I'm really anal about that. And so that gave us the opportunity to do it. The downside is that we also had um, a huge amount of weeds and pests mm. because um, it was a place for beginning farmers. Right. And right. so every mistake that a beginning farmer makes just right. compounds. Right. And so it was a really challenging environment uh, to, to be able to grow in because mm. ev- every pest and every weed that you could have, you would have. You would have. Right. And with perennial herbs especially, weeds are, are the death of perennial herbs because mm-hmm. You want to get the plants established. You want to get them in really good shape so that you can harvest quickly mm-hmm. because labor is the, the right. big cost. Yep. Right. And so if you have thistle mm-hmm. throughout all of your herbs, mm-hmm. you have just to... Saying. Just saying. Yes. Like as a random example. A random example. <laughs> yeah. Or even worse, grass. If you have grass in chives. Oh, yeah. That would be bad. You have to sort out right. grass and it's chives. It's like weeds and lilies, and lily of the valley, you know, oh. things like it's like, oh, God. And you're getting, you know, you're sorting out like 50... 50 cents worth of chives for mm-hmm. a couple of minutes. Right. And you're just, that, that killing you're never going to do great. Yeah, <laughs> killing you. Yeah, but that's really good as people are thinking about starting an incubator farm. Yeah. Um, you know, the value of it is it helped you do what you had, you know, to keep in business at the time, right? Right. And they're, yeah, pluses and minuses. Did, did they also do like business coaching at all or is that not, was it really not like that? I, th- I think they had done that a little bit more before I got there. Hmm, I think okay. once we had got there, we actually had a pretty solid plan. Yeah, At that I point, would've... we were writing mm-hmm. our value-added producer grant, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Um, and we were working with Chris Blanchard. Yeah. And we even before we started, we met with Paul Dittman yep. from the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, from Compere. Yeah, yep. from Compere. Uh, because Abby knew him. And mm-hmm. I showed up with spreadsheets. And he was very happy. Yeah, and he'd be happy with spreadsheets. Yeah, he was it. like, oh, you're thinking about it before. I know. What a concept. <laughs> it's great. It just makes me happy. I yeah. may not be happy with the numbers, but I'm happy that you are thinking about the numbers. Yeah. 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 Well, he's, he's, you know, it's hard to be happy with the numbers with, like, corn prices where they're at or things right. like that. No, so he, nobody he, is happy right, right now. Yeah. Diversified vegetables is not a bad place to go. Right. Um, yeah. So we we had a lot of resources. And so some of their resource people are especially focused on like the refugee, immigrant, mm-hmm. minority farmers yeah. who may have a language barrier or may have other barriers to be able to access some of the information. Mm-hmm. And Abby just literally had worked with the people. Right. And so we were on a first name basis with some of those people. Yeah. So yeah, we kind yeah. of just like rode the privilege train yeah. on yeah, that yeah, one yeah. to be able to find the people that we needed to work with. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you got the help you needed. Um, and you are now still just at one farmer's market or had you started? Nope. We've uh, grown. So after our second year of farming, I went full time. 
farming. Okay, so that, I yeah, okay, right? he became a full-time farmer, yay! <laughs> and we got, we, we, we found our right moment for transitioning. So mm-hmm. Abby had been writing grants where she got residual checks mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It was for 24 months after each grant cycle mm-hmm. ended. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that she had a cycle where she was going to be pulling in like uh, like half of my income right. for this it, chunk of time. Mm-hmm. And also, since that was um, passive income yeah. at that point, I was able to go out and get a full-time job with right. benefits so that mm-hmm. he could leave the university where we had our benefits mm-hmm. before. And we just had this very fortunate moment no, of kind yeah. of like these double income streams mm-hmm. and that we could say, let's go for it. Right. You know, let's right. really put you on this full-time and see if we can make a go. Right. Because 100 hours a week is a lot of hours. Or 100 hours, yeah. We really missed him, and he was tired. I bet. (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of those things, like, if it's leading somewhere, you know, you could do it for a short time. Right. If it's not leading anywhere, you really need to stop. You really need to stop. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an entrepreneur thing, right? And Mm -hmm. um, when I first started dating my, my partner in life, Brett, he got this thing online that he showed me, which was how to date an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, they should have one. I bet there is one for how to date a farmer, oh right? My but, God. Yeah. But you look at it and things are like, yeah, they will work a million hours and it does not mean that they don't love you. Oh, like nice. stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It was really good. It mm-hmm. was good. I'm glad he found the app. That's important. It is important. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you, you found this way to be able to quit so, the day job. Right. So we hit the sweet spot and we decided, okay, if this is going to be the thing, then this is going to pull in like this much income this year, half of that the next year. Right. So when it goes to half, the farm needs to replace the missing half. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gave, we really wanted to be drawing income from the farm as quickly as we could just to basically train the farm that part of its job is to actually produce income for us. Yeah. So like the first year that we pulled and income. And train you, like right. mentally, right? Yeah. yeah. This mm-hmm. is not a nonprofit. This yeah. is for mm-hmm. the purpose of supporting our family. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first year we pulled money, it was like $3,000 mm-hmm. over the course of the whole year. But it was with the, um, the purpose in mind that this is a bookmark mm-hmm. for what comes in the future. Just like we bookmark Sundays for family time, no matter what. Right. You know, right. to build in mm-hmm. from the start this model that supports us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't just overwhelm you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Everything that's important in your life. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's also easy to say... Once we hit X spot, mm-hmm. then we'll leave. Then we'll have Sundays. Right, for exactly. And right. it's so seductive. Mm-hmm. And for us, we we're like, that's too long. Mm-hmm. We've got a kid now. We're both in our forties. Mm-hmm. If we want to enjoy our time together, we need to enjoy it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, really smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. So. Um, you are now on your own farm, so let's talk about how that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, so we're lucky humans. Um, we work hard, but we're also very lucky. Um, so uh, we actually had help buying the farm. So f- land access is brutal, and we already had a home, mm-hmm. and so we could not go to the bank and say, how about you lend us a couple hundred thousand dollars, right. even though we have a small business that is 
barely making any money at all. Mm-hmm. And so instead we went to my mom mm-hmm. and we said, Hey, yeah. how about, how about some help with this? And so the way that we structured it is that she bought it and then we set up a land contract with her mm-hmm. so that we pay the entire mortgage, mm-hmm. um, every month. And so she's just basically a pass through, right? but she becomes our bank. Yeah. Um, and that has worked fantastic. She's very generous in being willing to do it at all, and it's worked great. So, and really loves the farm. She works out on the farm. She comes oh, to the market she? on Saturday to help Aww. sell vegetables. David's whole family, it's fascinating. It's a family of a lot of doctors and lawyers. Uh-huh. Um, and they have just all been so supportive of this. Isn't that wonderful? His dad comes out and gets in there on the farm. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. That's that it isn't that interesting? It's such an interesting thing. Totally. Well, it turns out that my um, great grandfather, who was a veterinarian, uh-huh. and they lived oh. in town, but yeah. they had a farm. Uh-huh. And my dad and all of his brothers would get sent to the farm for the summer oh. when they were in their adolescence oh, to go work some of to that go, out. Right, right. To <laughs> so, work and learn how to work, right? Yeah, yeah to bale hay to, farm. And yeah. to do some of those really tough jobs. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my, uh, grandma and my great aunt and my great uncle, they all, um, grew up like my great aunt would be given a tin with a sandwich in it, say bike out to the farm, uh-huh. catch the horses, uh, take care of them, groom them, get them fed and watered and everything. And mm-hmm. then, uh, don't come back until dinner. Wow. And so that's her association with it. So she found out that we were farming and she's just grabbing photo albums and pulling out pictures and telling me about how she loves kohlrabi. Uh And um, it it was honestly, it was a real shock how well received it was. Through the whole Um, extended family. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. Especially going from neuroscience. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, that's a track. Like doctors and lawyers are like, oh, neuroscience. Uh, Yeah, yeah. No, that's reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. He's a smart kid. Yeah. Yeah, and farming, I think, you know, part of the concern is that people tend to see farming through the eyes of row crops, which have just steadily just gotten worse and worse and worse over generations. And that um, the type of farming that we're doing is just completely different than that. Yeah, it's so completely different. You are entrepreneurial farm, Mm -hmm. right? Which is sort of that whole entrepreneurial, being an entrepreneur in a farm in a way is not associated with one word with the other real well. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's amazing. So, so the idea of having your mom buy it and you, you're buying it from her on a land contract, um, you know, lots of farms transition that way. Usually the, usually it's the, they would have owned the farm already, but Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and do you live on the farm yet? No. Yeah, so the farm so that we bought is open land. It is a, a blank canvas. Yeah. So it's open land with, a, with a really great well. Um, well, that's helpful. That's huge. It was a very expensive, very good well um, that was put in mm-hmm. um, before we got there. And it was all in pasture. Yeah. Uh, so there's no inputs or anything like that. So we could certify it organic on day one. Wow. Which was good really for you. crucial that's for us. That's great. Yeah. And then it also had five acres of compost. I know. Yes. Yeah, so I so you get to tell the story of that. I know the story of that, but you get to tell it. So the the um, city that we're near, the city of Stoughton, was taking all of their leaves and their yard waste to this piece of land, and they were composting it there. And they had a huge. Um, they had a guy come with a huge compost turner. That so he had one of those. What did they call the road? It it. It's a windrow, windrow turner. turner. Like that. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, but it literally it fits over the top of like a maybe a ten foot by twelve foot pile. 
Um, and then you drive a tractor and just drag it down this pile and it rotates the entire pile. And so you get good air inside of the compost. It's amazing. And then the guy was selling off that compost. Mm -hmm. So he did that for a little while. They were just finishing up because the city of Stoughton had built their own spot where they were going to be doing it Mm. now. Um, So the upside is that we ended up with about 300 tons of compost. That is so great. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. As payment for what we were doing. The downside is we ended up with five acres that dump trucks had been driving on for a lot of years. Right. A lot of compaction. A lot of compaction, which for farming is not not good. Um, So we're working right now on on pulling that back into production, Mm kind of helping the land open up a little bit. But it's going to be a five to 10 year process to really get that mm. soil recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, like a 60,000 pound truck all loaded up. Like that's a, right. That's a, a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's 10 acres. Uh, the farm itself is actually 30, 30 acres. Okay. Yep. It's 30 acres. So five nice. of those were in compost. Yep. Um, some of it's kind of hilly, some of it's kind of low. Um, but in general, uh, we bought this land partly thinking about climate change mm-hmm. and some of the intense variability that we're seeing with yeah. weather where, say, last year, you know, you get a couple of days where you get 14 inches of rain. Right, in right. Exactly. In a matter of a week. Yeah. I mean, no matter how good your soil is, it is it not going to absorb. absorb all that. Yep. So it's just going to run off. So you have to be, you have to have soil that can absorb. Mm-hmm. You have to have a place for things to go to run off. Mm-hmm. It can't be super low, but you can also have a drought. Mm-hmm. So what we looked for is a land land with a little bit of an incline mm-hmm. and a really good well. Yeah. And we totally found it. Yeah. Um, so we've got this great well. So if we got a drought, we know that we're covered. And um, the land drains pretty mm-hmm. great. Uh, so we're covered in, in big water events. Um, and then our other plan was to build greenhouses because we're expecting more hail um, mm-hmm. things like that that are really dangerous for some of our um, very expensive crops. Mm-hmm. Well, and also we're trying to extend the seasons, right, in Wisconsin. Yeah. Yep. We just got a grant, uh, Buy Local, Buy Wisconsin mm-hmm. grant that's cool. focused on season extension for culinary Good. herbs. Good. So we'll be pushing the spring season back, you know, hopefully as much as six weeks in the fall. We mm-hmm. want to certainly be getting to Thanksgiving and hopefully get a little bit further. And, and are you putting in hoop houses when you talk about greenhouses? Or is it hoop houses, essentially? Or? Yep, hoop yeah. houses, and then we will have a greenhouse at some uh-huh. point, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a while before we can uh, spring for it. Bigger, bigger investment, yeah. Yeah, yeah all these thoughts, right? It's amazing mm-hmm. to think about this. And now are you going to move out there? Yeah, the goal is to build a house uh, mm-hmm. in the next year and to be moving out there, which will be the first time that we have ever lived where we farmed. Isn't so that farming something? has been year six. It's been we'll, a commuter effort. Yeah. We've just yeah. spent so much time on the road going to a Whoa, farm, which yeah. is just surreal. Going to the farm and then going to markets. Yeah. yeah. So how many do you do multiple farmers markets now? Or yep, right now we've got three farmers markets. Okay. And then we've also got four grocery stores, mm-hmm. hundred families in our CSA. Okay. And then we work with, I mean, anywhere between probably five and 20 restaurants okay. in a given week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're getting some scale now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is it, are you meeting your goal of having it um, make up the difference in the income? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, now we're, it officially yeah. happened. It happened? It happened. Isn't yeah. that great? It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. See? We were able to make a smooth transition from those monthly payments I was receiving to the farm, just replacing them. It's Isn't that amazing? amazing. Yep. And that's this year. This year is full replacement. And yep. now we're kind of looking at growth. 
Working our way toward what you were earning at the lab. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give us another five years. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, so let's talk a little bit about, because you were saying you were being foresighted about climate variability and climate mm-hmm. change when you picked your site. Mm-hmm. How else is that impacting you? You know what's funny is that We've only been farming for five years, mm-hmm. and before that, you know, when you're farming, your 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 insight on weather is quite different. a bit different, right? You yeah. know, like I spend sixteen hours a day outside mm-hmm. most days, mm-hmm. um, so you know, I, I feel pretty clear about what's happening with the weather now. Before five years, like five years ago, six years ago, I don't think I had any clue. Right, you're um, in an office, you're in a exactly. hospital with I'm on people the bus. On, on the right in yeah. MRIs, right? Yeah, so. I would say that my perspective is pretty weak mm-hmm. when it cl- comes to climate change, um, but I've been lucky enough to find a mentor this year through mm-hmm. the Moses Mentorship Program, mm-hmm. Steve Pincus mm-hmm. at TP Organics. Yeah. And he, um, he's he been farming for 43 years mm-hmm. and has slightly bit more perspective. Perspective, yeah. yeah. And so he's been really good to talk to about you know, how different is this? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the, of all the years that I've been farming, they've all been insane. They've all been different, too. Yeah. It's and, been insane insane in different ways, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And some it's just, you know, the rain never stops. And usually in June, you get a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. And with, with a lot of rain, weeds grow really quickly. Right. And so in organic farming, you're just working as fast as you can mm-hmm. to get control of them in the spring. June and July and August, things slow down quite a bit. And it's usually where you can get your foothold mm-hmm. to get caught up, get yourself kind of cleared off, get ready for tomato season where everything goes crazy again. And then in the fall, it's it's quite a bit easier to control weeds because they have a different character. In the spring, they're all making a run for it. Mm-hmm. In the fall, they're a little bit more chill. Mm-hmm. They they're, know that they're going into winter. They don't have that same spring burst of energy. Mm-hmm. And so you can keep on top of it a bit easier. So when you get rain through June, July, and August, you're getting spring weeds mm-hmm. in the middle of summer when you have the bounty of the summer harvest and there's just not that many hours in the day yeah um so we figured out other techniques to help with that like Mm -hmm. um using landscape fabric for growing our tomatoes and our peppers so that we weed that once Mm -hmm. and then we never have to weed it again for the whole season Mm -hmm. um and you know we have uh we have to figure out when to fish and when to cut bait on -hmm. some things uh carrots for example they're really sensitive to weeds if you don't weed in uh, I'd say you probably have like a five-day period mm-hmm. where you really got to get them. And if you miss that period, you can stare at them, but they're pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. And you, you basically want to till them in. You lost the cost of the seed and nothing right. more. You don't want to put hundreds of dollars of weeding into that and then lose it anyways. Right. So how many acres are you farming now? About five. About five. Yeah. Okay. So we went from one... To, to a half, half acre, right? to one acre, to last year we probably had two and a half, three, to now we're at five. So we're scaling up pretty quickly. And we have changed our equipment too. We're now on a... I was going to say. Yeah, this year we got a four-wheel tractor. Mm-hmm. Last year we rented one mm-hmm. um, where we just paid by the hour, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we bought our own, which is even better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have... Do you have Help! It sounds like you have help now, right? Yeah, it's crazy. So we're we're doing a lot of tomatoes this year, which mm-hmm. are a high labor right. sort of a crop. Um, so we have surprisingly enough all part time employees. Hmm. 
Um, last year, I swore to myself that I would only have full-time employees for the rest of my life. No, right, and yeah. it didn't happen. And <laughs> what happened was I have no full-time employees this year, um, which was a surprise. But uh, again, I talked with Steve, my mentor, who has mostly part-time employees, and mm-hmm. said that it really helps with burnout. Yeah. And oh, I yeah, I bet. For yeah. me, I'm really happy being physical for that many hours. Mm-hmm. Um not everybody is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so um, having other people out there mm-hmm. to have like a three-day weekend to be able to rest, recharge, and then also have a little time with friends and family mm-hmm. um, makes a huge difference. So we've ended up with almost, well, with all part-time employees. And I just hired two more people this week for tomato season. So mm. we're up to eight. Wow. Which is pretty insane. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's really wild. Mm-hmm. Payroll is scary. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Especially because you're always, you know, you're paying now and you're harvesting, harvesting later, later and yeah, then you're getting, getting the paid 30 days after that. Than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. And with your CSA, do people work at all? Is that part of your CSA or not at all? I am opposed. Okay. Because yep. you don't want people who I don't want, know what they're doing on I the farm. I want pros. Yeah. I don't have time. Yeah. And I love I love the idea of people coming out and having a social event mm-hmm. where they sit across from each other and weed. And I totally get how that is just lovely and wonderful and it is not mm-hmm. my personality. Right. And it's it's just not comfortable for me. Are you gonna have events on your farm? Are you gonna, once you are there? Well we'll have a CSA event this year where we'll invite everybody out just to see uh-huh. where things are grown and to kind of mm-hmm. get a feel for it. Um, longer you- term I think we're we're open to events, but we don't have any specifics in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had a vision of this whole thing a good five years before it started. Of course you did, uh-huh. knowing you guys. That's and, how it, it work. and it included on a mountaintop in Nepal. Is in it? a mountain, on mountaintop in, uh, in Nepal, <laughs> of course, right? Yep. And on a napkin, of course. Of yep. course. Yep. Um, and events on the farm we're part of that vision, mm-hmm. and I think I think we still we don't quite know how that'll happen yeah. just yeah. yet. But mm-hmm. we would love to hold events on the farm. I'd say mm-hmm. we're really good at getting a vision and then not being too beholden to it and just kind of letting it unfold over time. Yeah, and then we look really back good. and say, "Hey, that vision is happening." <laughs> Isn't that a weird thing yeah. about yeah. visions? It yeah. is. You mm-hmm. know, when you're really, in, it creates this intention that's in the universe, mm-hmm. and then you don't think about it, but it just it's mm-hmm. like busy manifesting, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And it's exactly. interesting because it it's it doesn't have to be too difficult. Right. In that way, where you Isn't don't have to like force it to work to, according to a vision, you're just like, well, we'll start with the piece that's here, mm-hmm. and then we'll kind of take it from there, and we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. And we're not going to be wedded to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but those napkins are sitting on my my bedside table right they now. They are, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. So I drew we I um, when I was working on Tara's way, I flew to San Francisco in a day, sat in a restaurant with a guy from who happened to be from Ireland who was like this mm. really, really talented PhD in way, you know, like seriously <laughs> um, from Ireland where they know a lot about dairy. Yeah. Um, and he drew my plant because it was going to be a batch processing facility, which didn't exist in the way industry at the sure. time. So he drew it on a napkin. And then uh, we talked about what it would be. And I took the BART and then I flew home. 
that crazy? I love yeah. it. And I didn't save the napkin. Oh, uh, isn't yeah. that sad that I didn't uh, save the napkin? Yeah. But anyway, it became a real thing. It's like uh-huh. framing the first right. dollar. It you is. Got, you like, got to find your first napkin with the business plan on it. I get it. Like, <laughs> I got to find that napkin. Yeah. But that was the vision, right? And, it, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's, and I didn't, in a way, you don't need the napkin because no. once you did it, it's there. We Like we said, we didn't look back there. to the napkin until recently. We found it we when found we it. started clearing out our house we've had for 10 years to move and looked at it and said, oh, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. It's really cool. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So are you still, where are you going to do the stuff that was in the basement? We built a greenhouse last year. You did? Okay, out at the farm. Yep, and then we're building a a hoop house. A hoop house. And then we're building a second one right now. Okay. And then we're also building a wash pack shed right now, Mm -hmm. which I just have to say is a lot of buildings to be building. It is a Anything lot. Anything greater than zero. Uh, it's a building. It's, yeah. It's a lot of buildings. It's a lot of buildings. Uh, so we are, they were uh, going to be done, I think, by the beginning of April. We're mm-hmm. currently at the end of July. Right. And we're still there. There's no roofs. There's no roofs. Yeah. <laughs> I just have, you know, roofs are overrated <laughs> they for are some overrated. reason that I have not quite figured out yet. There is this yet. tarp solution. I don't know. Yeah. There's no tarps. There's, There's no, no tarps. No, There's it's nothing. just a frame. It's the illusion of a building. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, we have a couple months yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling <laughs> they're going to happen. And you have to harvest, yeah. right? I have a feeling they're going to happen right before winter at yeah. this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. So um, I think for a lot of people, I mean, I, I know... Very few people who have had this idea that they're going to farm like you have and who've successfully actually quit the day job, Hmm. gone through what you've gone through, and gotten to a place where it's actually replacing income. That is an incredible achievement, actually. Hmm. I know it may not feel like it, but it is. Hmm. That's great. We'll take it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So in the future, what do you see for you guys? Well, part of the vision has always been that as we could, I would come into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so not ready to reveal my <laughs> current brewings, but that's mm-hmm. starting to bubble up. Okay. Um, so I'll be joining Love Food in mm-hmm. the right capacity for me in my own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the ne- in moving to the farm. That'll mm-hmm. be in the next year. Um do you want to say more about the business, like where we're headed in yeah. terms of mm-hmm. vegetables? Um, well, so we've only been on the farm for, you know, a, a year, a little bit yeah, over a year. And so with those perennial herbs, they're just getting mm-hmm. established to the point where they're really starting to produce. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to get to the luxurious stage where right. we have what we need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so based on that, we hope to expand our, our grocery stores mm-hmm. that we're offering herbs through. And we also um, got a contract this year for cherry tomatoes and heirloom tomatoes mm-hmm. with um, uh, the local co-op mm-hmm. and their three Willy stores. Street yeah, yeah. Street co-op. And their three stores. So that's huge for us. Yeah, um, that's a big contract for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really big. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so far... Uh, mm-hmm. In July, things are going fine. And then we had a cold spring and a wet spring, so things are a little bit behind, but the whole world is behind. So we're Right, fine everybody's that. behind, yeah. Yeah, so we just had our very first delivery of uh, packaged cherry tomatoes today, which is extremely exciting. Yeah, and you do you do pack in clamshells, right, yeah. or your herbs and stuff, so that happened, too, somewhere in here. Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. That, mm-hmm. was, that was year Two three. Yeah. We received that USDA 
pl- planning grant mm-hmm. um, and worked with a wonderful local marketing and design mm-hmm. company and helped us design our labeling sure. and packaging. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we got that all laid out. So for for future goals, um, we just started working with a friend who's a farmer Mm -hmm. who goes to a whole bunch of restaurants delivering twice a week. Mm -hmm. And he's starting to draw in from other farms and then deliver for them Mm -hmm. for way less than what a distributor would cost. Nice. Um, And then he Mm. keeps your name on everything. Oh, good. And so we've got total transparency. Mm -hmm. And then because of the markets that we're at, we're actually at a, a Wednesday market downtown where most of the chefs in the downtown oh, area all shop. Mm-hmm. So we have a face-to-face relationship with mm-hmm. these chefs and then they buy from either us directly or through this other guy. Mm-hmm. And so that is looking like a, uh, it, we've only been doing it for two weeks mm-hmm. and already it looks like a great setup nice. for us. Another it's going to drop yeah. the labor mm-hmm. for less than the cost of hours of somebody delivering. Right. Um, right. To have it all delivered and for him to take orders, consolidate them mm-hmm. and the orders are much larger. And um, So that's going really well. So I had expected to see the restaurant stuff mm-hmm. get bigger, um, and we always we're just dialing in our crop mix mm-hmm. over time so that we're doing um, as we have more data, mm-hmm. we can figure out more of what's profitable. You are a neuroscience part of <laughs> you is still a neuroscientist, right? Got to yeah. have data. Got to have yep. data. Yeah. yeah. Are you gonna do? Um, are you gonna do medicinals at all? Yeah. That's something that we've talked about. We've got so we've got thirty acres and five are in production. Right. So as we look at the rest of the um, areas, some of the things that we're thinking about is taking what we've learned from doing perennial culinary herbs mm-hmm. to bring in and annual culinary herbs to bringing that into medicinal, both mm-hmm. perennial and annual. And we see a really good market there, both for fresh and for dried. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've actually looked at the culinary stuff for dried as well, because one of the tricks with herbs is that they have this big growth spurt in the spring. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants sage right. in we, April. In April, right. It's just Nobody's not a cooking thing. a turkey. Right. There's no turkeys right. happening. You're only growing that stage for one week of the year. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit, and you have to grow a ton, right. and it's just for one week. And it's totally worth it for mm-hmm. that one week, but it sure would be great to do something with all that waste product. Right. And so what we're looking at is doing some sort of a dried culinary herb. Mm-hmm. Down the road, once we have a more established wash pack area, but that could slot in really nicely with medicinal, both mm-hmm. fresh and dried. Yeah. So we're looking at that market. I love picturing the little jars of love food spices on the oh, shelf. Oh, sure. That just makes me really happy. We actually made yeah. Christmas gifts for our yeah. whole family a couple yeah. years ago where our daughter, Soleil, designed the labels. Oh, and how sweet. So we made love food herbs, and man, they were good. They were good. Yeah, yeah. most of the herbs that you get that are dried, are they're usually a couple years old. Yeah, no. Oh, you realize that they're yeah. really old. So those those active oils are, mm-hmm. are not so active yeah, they're anymore. Not great. <laughs> yeah, if you know, do you know the folks who do flavor temptations? The Indian couple that does her, they do. I this, know what you're talking about. They're mm-hmm. they're kits and okay. they're for making Indian food. Okay, and they bring the spices here. They're organic from uh, India, uh-huh. and you think oh, that won't make any difference. Oh my God! Does it yeah. make a difference? Mm. Like, like the whole kitchen smells like cumin when you open that little package mm. of cumin seed because mm-hmm. it's so fresh, right? That's the thing is we tend to keep spices for so long, right? It's right, like, way too get long. Out and get actually. them out of here. Get them out of here. Yeah. Compost it. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, but it made me realize that I'm not buying spices that are that fresh. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing that we're looking at doing is actually um, more spices. Mm-hmm. So some of the seeds 
um, that you can grow, say like fennel or anise or things like that, that I think would be really cool to be growing in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, there used to be a lot of seed production here uh, because of the UW-Madison, but actually now they do their trials here and they move all the seed production out to Washington. Where it's reliably dry. Oh, when sure. Th- in the late yeah. season, when mm-hmm. things are drying down, but they used to do it here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I'm looking at a lot. Um, the seasons to grow seeds—it's a pretty long season, so we'd mm-hmm. have to get the greenhouse involved to get stuff started yeah. early. Um, but I see some room in some of the like fine sausage sort of market mm-hmm. if we had some really flavorful stuff, and also alcohols mm-hmm. um, to right. be able to flavor with fresh yeah. seeds. Yeah. yeah. When that's a that's a market channel that I adore, like being yeah. a beautiful ingredient in someone else's beautiful product yeah, that's all yeah, local yeah. and partnery. I just mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're excited mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like it. The one trick that I'm running into though is I love experimenting mm-hmm. and I love researching. Right, and there is only so much time in July. And right. so I learned this past year that I was experimenting too much. Mm-hmm. And that and so now I've limited myself to 10% experimentation. <laughs> so it still gets to be a pretty good size component of the farm, but it's got to be in its place. And right. if I have to pick between things, it's the part that's got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure that the rest of production actually works. Right. Um, and that's been a good lesson to learn because I, I am a very curious person. Yeah. Oh, one of the other things. Mm-hmm. Saffron. Yeah. Have you seen Vermont? I know. Yep, I know. With saffron. Yeah. And um, since we're getting invested in greenhouses, mm-hmm. it's a really great complementary one where you can plant it. Usually it's actually planted in crates. Yeah. And then they bring crazy. it outside for the summer mm-hmm. um, when it's just growing a little bit. And then they bring it in, in right, right at the end of the fall when you're clearing out the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And it's a fall blooming crocus. And so yeah. you bring it in and then it's high labor. Our labor costs here are so much higher than in Iran, where they're oh, usually grown, course, right? Yeah. That um, the cost, w- like it's not the cash crop that it would be in Iran, mm-hmm. but local Wisconsin saffron, yeah, that'd, be, that'd cool. be pretty cool. <laughs> and and um, you know the 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 medicinal herbs are lots of practitioners who are not happy. Right. They don't they don't feel confident when they bring herbs from China that they're actually right. getting what they thought they were getting and stuff. So Well and some of the testing yeah. from both China and from Eastern Europe mm-hmm. is turning up lots of trace things that we don't want in medicinal herbs. Right. So um, there's also there's a lot of organic fraud yeah. in the world right yeah. now. Um, yeah. People can get a premium for the crop that mm-hmm. they're growing by just yeah. putting a stamp on it. So yeah. I'm definitely seeing that. Um, Volume is actually the trick with that mm-hmm. one, though. This mm-hmm. is not like you know ten pounds of spearmint. This is right. we need bales, right? So figuring out that that is a, is a little bit more tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Well, we've covered I think your the the idea all the way to where you are now and what's in the future. Have we missed anything in here? Anything? You so one thing share? Um, yeah. that we were talking about before we came here today is that. The, it's hard work, right? The whole thing. Yeah. And the one um, thing that we constantly come back to is our yes, mm-hmm. right? So when we started this, there was just a total yes for both of us. Mm-hmm. And our daughter, too. Yeah. Um, we're all on board. And so even when things are hard, it feels right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and we check in. You still want to be a farmer? 
you know, you still want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's always been a yes. Mm -hmm. And even when David was working a hundred hours a week, I was such a yes that yes, we missed him, but this was the right thing for our family. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. having that at the core, it's like something bigger is holding us that we've agreed to. Yeah. 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 I think it's super important because it is, entrepreneurship is all encompassing, mm-hmm. right? And so, so never mind farming entrepreneurially. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it takes a lot out of everybody. Yeah. And having your whole family aligned is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Totally. And I think I think about it as like that is the structure that the farm can exist within mm-hmm. or on top of, as the case may be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the skeleton for a body. And mm-hmm. without the skeleton, we're just a pile of goo. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. So those, those sorts of... Um, orienting mm-hmm. spots are incredibly important for us. Mm-hmm. It's been amazing to me that our daughter, Solea, also continues to be a yes, mm-hmm. even when things are hard and she doesn't feel like going to the market on Saturday morning. Right. And, you know, I'll say to her, do you still want to do this? Really open curiously. Like, mm-hmm. if you say no, it's okay. Right, And we'll right. talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and she always says yes. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been great. And I'm sure all aspiring farmers will learn a lot from all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah. Thanks, Tara. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. Thank you.